0: American Toffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club, hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James and Ryan here, following Everton's two-one loss at Saint James's Park to Newcastle. It is Carlo Ancelotti's first time losing consecutive matches. Since he joined Everton last year, Ryan, well, actually, first we want to give a quick shout out to Josh Cryptus on the Discord, uh, predicted the score correctly prior to the match. He said, going to go 2-1 to Newcastle. We struggle with so many players out and show another abysmal away performance. I think that last bit may be a little bit debatable. Um, but in other news, before we throw it over to Ryan for initial reactions, we, of course, also had the women's FA Cup final today. Everton also featured bizarrely at the same time and Everton lost in that match 3-1 in extra time to Manchester City. Ryan, actually, before we do initial reactions, bizarre move to have an FA Cup final where Everton featured the exact same time as a men's Premier League match, no?
0: I don't get this at all. It makes no sense to me. Patrick Boylan, I thought, nailed it. Uh, As Plenty have pointed out, he said, a massive shame that the two Everton sides have games scheduled at exactly the same time today, completely avoidable. How could it not have been? I, I don't understand that at all. Um, I understand they are different competitions. Lots of different companies maybe have the rights to put them on, but it's the best of both worlds to have them at different times. And much of the same audience would have tuned in for either match. Uh, very disappointing to me. Uh, I really wanted to sit down and watch both. Obviously, and can go back and watch both on replay, and by all accounts, the FA – Cup final was a very good one and and made it into the second period of extra time before Everton fell. I don't understand that. Does it make any sense to you? Because I know, put it this way, since this is the American Toffee Podcast, there is no way that happens in this, no chance. I mean, that thing gets moved so fast. Now, granted, granted, it's fair that many of the domestic sports in America, the TV dollars are domestic and and predominantly domestic, and that's where the big bucks are, you know what I mean? So there's probably less to coordinate. Um, but this, this one is odd for us, I think, as Americans, because this thing would be moved so fast. It's unbelievable.
1: Yeah. I think it probably, as you alluded to, eventually just comes down to the TV rights and, you know, TV schedules tend, they, I don't know. I'm no, certainly no expert in the field, but it seems like you're probably contracted to air games at certain times. But I still think that with Everton women playing, of course, most Evertonians would have tuned into both matches if possible. As it turned out, the Everton men's match concluded and then we were able to, to flip over to the women's match for like the last 20, 30 minutes. And then for all of extra time, it was a, a really impressive effort from the Everton women. Of course, Manchester City has some, some fantastic players, but so to Everton. And yeah, it was, it was clear that the legs had kind of gone out by the time it got to extra time and, and City really turned up the pressure and three one maybe flatters them a little bit. I think it was probably a closer match than that, but. All in all, a, a really good statement of intent for the Everton women and bodes well for the future of the women's game in England overall.
0: I know Everton's, too, also a bit committed to the women's game. I, I think the last year or two, they've talked a lot about it. Um, I have some indirect insight in terms of their scouting and analysis department, and and a lot of what they're saying is encouraging. And we've seen other English clubs invest in American stars, for sure. In fact, one of them decided to head in the first goal for <laughs> Manchester City, which Kind Indeed. of hurts hurts a little. Yep. Um Yep. Just a little bit. Uh, but it is very interesting, and I think as a result, the the level of interest is as high as it's ever been in America. Certainly, the women's national team is popular. It'd be really nice to see even more commitment to Everton, but to make a an FA Cup final is is still a very significant achievement. I think.
1: Completely agree, and and hopefully we continue to see the level of investment that we've we've noticed over. The last year or so into the women's game in general and Everton specifically continuing to grow because I think there's, there's a tremendous amount of potential given the ceiling that I think the men's game has, has yet to reach globally, but especially in the American market where women's soccer, I think is, it probably has more of a spotlight on it than perhaps anywhere else in the world for perhaps the, the sport to grow, the Premier League specifically, the women's Premier League to continue to grow and, and flourish even. Um, but with that said, Let's move on to the men's performance, the Toffees, at St. James's Park. It was uh, a frustrating day, to say the least. We saw – Ryan, I guess, let's throw it to you. Give me your initial reaction to the match.
0: There's so many things that I I just wasn't sure what to say afterwards. Um, my take on the match was very different after the penalty. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I looked at several other initial reactions here, and I, I don't think I quite really matched any of them. Um, Matt DeLong, uh, replied to us and, and, and his quote was interesting. Take the only two creative players out, um, of the team and our only chances came when we were lumping it forward at the end. Put Jank and DCL up for crosses, but don't even have the ability to supply them quality crosses. Eh. I mean, certainly the first half though is true. Um, I, I, I had a feeling when the line, well, we'll get the lineup in a second, but. My initial reactions were we, we just, I was okay that we were sound defensively and I thought things were fine. And then once the penalty goal hit, it kind of just fell apart. Um, Anchor and I go back and forth all the time. Uh, he's on here. His comment was most frustrating thing was the lack of courage shown by the midfield kept cycling the ball, hoping someone else would dare a pass forward. Yeah. At times it felt that way. Um, felt like, you know, maybe they, they kept stepping back and the wingbacks weren't aggressive. Um, Tim Bridle response to us that was up there with my worst two hours of 2020, uh, in response to also Alan Brody, who tweeted me during the match saying, you know, it's not been good when Ryan Williams hasn't tweeted much. That was also partially because I was sitting in like 40 degree weather in the pouring rain with my umbrella, watching my son play a match, uh, in which he hit two bars too, which I was also infuriating, um, but I think the last one we had, John Ferguson is the one that responded to us. His quote was, to have any chance without the likes of James, Richie, Gordon, Awobi, Bernard, need to start. I'd rather lose going forward or attempting to than whatever that was today. And I think that was my response. My, my initial thought was, OK, up out there. We're going to play fairly conservatively. Let's just get the clean sheet. Um and then I just felt like there wasn't enough effort. I almost feel like the second the penalty was conceded we should have brought two guys on. Um I got the strategy, I got the opinion. I was content with us sitting back and playing mostly for a draw and trying to maybe score a couple at the end and as things loosened up, but it just didn't play out that way. So to me it's just a big it's just a big disappointment. I, I, there's nothing in that match that I saw that I thought was particularly dangerous, and I and I thought if anything, Newcastle was quite fortunate. I mean, they really had one big chance from Saint Maxim, and that was about it. They had the penalty, which was completely soft, but I I guess it's a penalty. And then you had a ball where it gets deflected and goes in the net. I I don't know. What was your initial reactions? Because I'm still just, I, it's just kind of unfortunate. It's just bad that it happened yeah. when it did. I guess.
1: Yeah uh I think that's that's a fair assessment Ryan in my opinion I think a a lot of the responses you read out touched on elements that I that I agree with I mean look you're missing some of your key key players here the players that have largely contributed to making Everton look so good as we start the season yeah you've got DeCore and Allen in there but you've got Nkunku who is entirely unproven you've got John Joe Kenny who I think is widely regarded as perhaps not good enough to play in this Everton team on a regular basis. You've still got Mason Holgate on the sideline, so you're stuck with Yerry Mina and Michael Keane in the middle. No disrespect to them, but perhaps not the ideal partnership as we've discussed in the past. And then you've got no real players capable of playing wide, and, and that segues nicely into the lineup discussion. So this game kicked off at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we got a – A bit of a surprise because we know that we have wide players that could have theoretically slotted in, as John alluded to, Anthony Gordon, Alex Awobi, and Bernard all on the bench to start. And we end up with what we suspected was a Christmas tree formation and turned out to be. But Ryan, I want to touch first on Jordan Pickford being dropped after 119 consecutive Premier League starts prior to today. He had not missed a Premier League match since he joined Everton And today was the day Carlo Ancelotti in the pre-match comments said that it was just to give him a quote unquote rest in the post-match. I believe he may have also said that Olsen would play next week, but he said the same about Pickford pre-match. So what do you make of the Jordan Pickford being dropped conversation? I know there's been much made of the media reaction to Virgil van Dijk. It came out since we last recorded that he had been forced to hire private security because of the death threats made against him and his family do you think that this was Carlo saying, you just need a mental break, it's been a lot to process the last few weeks, or do you think it's just a matter of he has been inconsistent and below standards for a long time, and today was the day where I think it makes sense to drop him?
0: That's a big question. Um He's obviously not been phenomenal for a long time. Liverpool mistake aside, I thought he rebounded really well in that match. Um I It's interesting. I think there's probably more to do with the fact that the media made this whole thing into an absolute circus, which was incredibly irresponsible and are still doing it now, which I just yes. don't understand. Uh, we talked about it a couple pods ago, how irresponsible it was. I mean, these are grown adults. Get over it. Um, I think it probably had a little bit more of the fact that he was heading back north. And we've seen how he's played and how yeah. fired up and charged he's been against Newcastle. Maybe that was not the best time already on edge to do it. If you were going to arrest him. I'm sure Carlo figured that he probably wasn't going to see it too much here because Newcastle doesn't have a lot of sustained attack typically, but it was curious for sure. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with the returning back north because I thought a lot about this. And let's be honest, I can't relate to the fact that me and my family would be getting death threats from playing right. a kid's game. I, I I don't know how you feel about it.
1: No, I think, I think the shout f- – regarding going north is a really good one and something that I'd consider as well. Uh Jordan of course growing up coming through the Sunderland system for those that don't know Newcastle and Sunderland a bitter bitter rivalry and we've seen in the past uh with fans in the stadium of course Jordan lose his head at moments when playing Newcastle. So that I think that played probably more of a role. But you have to think that there's there's been some struggles for it with him the external stressors of the media just circus as you said ridiculous amount of overreaction and attention drawn to him and his family. And then you've got the rogue fans who you you really would be shocked to think that anyone would actually do anything. But at the same time, it's not some, a risk you're willing to take when you have a small child and a, and a wife. So completely out of order for any, any fan to send death threats to an up to a professional player. But I do think something, there's something to be said for the fact that Olsen has come in and it's now been a few weeks since he's been on the training ground, training with the team and the reason we brought him in was pro- to provide competition for Jordan Pickford. This match seemed like a good circumstance to try out a different keeper. And I think ultimately most fans were, were pleasantly surprised by Olsen on his debut, which we'll get into a little bit later. But let's, uh, let's move on through the lineup conversation here. We also, of course, had Niels and Cuckoo starting on the left hand side on his 20th birthday, coincidentally. And then the five center mids, which turned out to be the Oh Christmas tree formation that Carlo Ancelotti has used successfully in the past. Um, but what was interesting, I think about this one and that really stood out was Andre Gomez and Gilfie Sigurdsson playing at the attacking midfield, the, the, the lamb and ram for, uh, for, for those positions. And uh, it really ended up shaping, shaping out as you might expect, using those two players in the attacking roles, Ryan,
0: that's, The right point. Uh, I'm curious as to what your initial reaction was, because mine was focused on the wings as well as those two guys. I mean, what what did you think was going to (laughs) happen?
1: I mean, you see five central midfielders when we know that central midfield has been our weakest area of the pitch up until we brought in Decore, Allen and James. So I was Very surprised to see all three of Awobi, Bernard, and Gordon on the bench, especially when you're talking about looking to exploit wide. But I thought, okay, well, if we put five bodies in central midfield, then maybe that at least gives Kenny and Nkunku license to roam forward and and get involved in wide spaces. Of course, it's no Luca Dean and Seamus Coleman, and I think that was probably the biggest takeaway. I think we can maybe get away with the five central midfielders, the Christmas tree, if we do have our starting uh, wing outside backs at our disposal today, but they really, really struggled both of them to get involved and get the ball out wide.
0: And part of it was those two guys too. So let's, let's take it from either side. I mean, the setup was initial setup was in very high JJ, Kenny, very high. Um And it looked like Delph was on the left side, kind of supporting that attack with Andre drifting that way a bit. Um, Siggy was a little bit to the right, although I, I would argue that he, he almost sat a little bit more, more middle at times. Uh, but Decorey was over on that side in theory supporting John Joe Kenny. And initially right. I was happy with our shape. I, I don't think yeah. that was the issue. Alan would kind of sit in the middle a little bit there. And, and I, I think that works. It's well supported, but it doesn't work if your two fullbacks are not aggressive. And that's what I was really shocked about. I, I thought that's what I, I don't, I don't think it was courage to me. I I I don't, that's Anchor's point was it's courage and the recycling back and forth. I don't think that's what it was. I think it was trying to be cautious and careful, trying to make sure that we didn't make a mistake and get caught out. They do have a couple guys that can attack in space and and create by themselves. I mean, they were never going to create some sort of sustained attack in there. You know, they're very direct. They're not really big on possession. And I, I think that was what was incredibly disappointing. That being said, what did you kind of expect? Um, yeah. I just, I, I just don't understand the thought process behind both of them. Andre is the one to me that is the most curious. Um, I don't know what Carla was really expecting out of them. If he felt like he was the more responsible one, I understand some of the stick that Awobi has taken for turning the ball over. But guess what? If you turn the ball over in the final third, that's not so bad if your team's supporting you properly and you're creating as well. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. done. It's a function of risk and reward. Uh, Andre is just not a creative player in the final third. I, I've heard people call him creative. I don't know what he creates, though. Um, he's more of someone that can help with build up and link play and his passing. His distribution's good from the back, but we didn't really need that. And him pressed up higher. I think all it did was kind of take things away. And you saw Gilfie up there, and I, I just... He, he's not good at receiving the ball in traffic. It's very difficult because you almost know he's going to get rid of it or he'll try one touch pass and it'll go to no one, especially if there's no one really ahead of him. The only person was Dom and Andre was kind of sitting back. So, um, the setup is kind of what we're talking about here is fine if you don't concede because I, I had a feeling Carlo was very concerned about how many goals we were, we were conceding. So I got that. I was okay with that and. Yes, I wanted to see the fullbacks get up more aggressively, but yeah, they would stop and kind of recycle the ball so we, we, we could keep it. And that's what we saw happen. But the second the goal scored, it deserved or not deserved. I mean, it was all over. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that was kind of the, the big thing is you're right. The, the five midfielders does give, give us the opportunity to kind of shore things up defensively. And at the start of the match, Nkunku and Kenny were both pushed up. Almost to the point of playing like offensive wingers. It seemed yeah. like where they they it's like are you trying to get in behind the defense at that point rather than because obviously Andre and Gilfie are not going to be the ones playing th- the wing role or looking to make runs in behind the defense. So in theory it would make sense to use your your wing backs in that role, but they weren't ever really able to get the ball, and as a result we ended up with this really kind of uh, turgid just central. To, I thought we moved the ball. Relatively well, at least within the confines of that central midfield, but never really incisively or effectively. We, we had a good, uh, I think we had our fingers on the pulse of the match and we're controlling possession for the most part, but with little effect and with little to encourage us as far as our opportunities to score goals. Calvert Lewin was pretty isolated, save a few long balls. Um, and as you said, Ryan, Andre Gomez could not have looked much more out of place in that attacking midfield role because He just, again, both he and Sigurdsson, so slow and so awkward when receiving the ball. No one really wanted to turn and take on a man. So playing it a little bit too cautiously ended up biting us in the butt.
0: And you could see it. I mean, there really wasn't too much to speak of in the first half. No. Um, you know, I I mean, pushed up high, but so what? I, I could not believe how many times it looked like there was an opportunity run behind and, and we didn't do it. Mm-hmm. But even basic stuff, I mean, we would swing it back to the right. Something looked promising. DeCorey would play a ball kind of leading John Joe Kenny, and a couple times it went out of bounds. I don't know what the hesitation was there. I mean, what was John's, John Joe's concern? He's got a really sound center midfielder behind him that can cover him. I, I just, I don't understand. In Kunku, it seemed a little bit more tactical that he was staying higher. Um, yeah. and Andre's on that side. So, I mean, what are you going to do? Suddenly spring some great dynamic attack with him? Maybe not. Um, but I don't understand the right side at all. Uh, John Joe was hesitant the whole match. And yeah, so as a result, not much was created, but not much was conceded about the only thing we really had was conceded was. Their break kind of off the corner, right? We had right. not the best defending. We kind of made a bad decision, and and sure enough, for his first time, really, Olson came up really big on on St. Maximin. And I, I don't know if it was the Gucci headband that got in his way and why he didn't have as good an opportunity on on net. Um, sorry, I just there's no way we can play Newcastle without me making some comment about you have him. To. I can't help it. I mean, I I I just that's how it was. So, but that was it. I mean, really, we got to halftime, and and there were a couple times we maybe had the ball in some dangerous spots, but really. No great chance came out of it. And, and I don't know what your thoughts were at halftime, but my thoughts were, well, I mean, we kind of controlled the game. I mean, I think possession was at like 65% at that moment. And no, we didn't create a whole lot, but look, we're in control of the game. And, and if it's one of those situations where we've got attackers on the bench, we'll let them loose whenever we need to. You know what I mean? I thought we were okay, but boy, I, I felt like this, we kind of started a little bit well there in the in, coming out in the second half and showed a little bit more directness. Um, and I really, I mean, Newcastle had the ball a little bit more than maybe they had, but I really think the penalty kind of came, it's just a strange time. like There was no thought in my head when they awarded that penalty that I thought we weren't in control of the da- the game and even really concerned that they were going to score. You know, I don't know how your thoughts were.
1: Yeah, no, as you said, going into halftime, I, you know, on social media, there's, a, you're always prone to seeing knee-jerk reactions, but people, people saying it was atrocious some of the worst football they've seen from us this season okay some of that may be warranted but again offensively. considering
0: defending yeah, I mean, defense is part of the game
1: <laughs> right and so the fact that we're able to to keep this team at bay no they're not a prolific scoring outfit but again they the only times they remotely looked like scoring is when we were entirely caught out on the counterattack. and it turns out that that was really the only time they would really threaten us all match but then it comes comes out for the second half i thought as you said Being more direct, maybe looking to get it to Calvert Lewin a bit more in the air where he actually ended up having a pretty good day, all things considered, even though he was, continues to be pretty isolated and, and removed from any of our build up play. But 56 minutes comes and it is a soft, probably foul on Callum Wilson from Andre Gomez. I don't think he sees him when he's trying to clearly going to clear the ball. And Callum Wilson kind of jumps in front of him at the last moment. He catches him on his right leg, I believe. Barely. 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 While he's in the air, and Wilson admittedly tried to get Gomez to hit him. And then he goes down, and you can debate that it's not a pen all day. I I would agree, but at the same time, if that's against us, I would be shouting for it all day long. And Wilson flops for sure, but the contact is there, and he's just embellishing it. And what's unfortunate about it is that, again, Andre doesn't see him, but it's such a bad position to make contact because he's basically on the end line, back to goal, not really capable of making anything positive happen if he is able to effectively receive it. And then it goes from a nothing play to a penalty and a 1-0 deficit
0: for the Toffees. Typical lack of defensive awareness uh, in Andre's case and what I don't un- – normally we see that in space when he's playing in central midfield. I just – I don't understand the mentality at all. When the ball comes to you like that off a corner, I mean, attack the ball. It's not the most egregious error. I'm sure he felt like no one was around him. Wilson kind of came out of nowhere. But, geez, you've got to be more aware than that. Attack the ball. Put your head on the thing and knock it out of bounds. I, I don't know what what was he going to do with the ball there? Wait for it to come to him and then launch it out with his left foot. I, I just don't understand it at all. That was a risky play anyway. So it's just disappointing. I think it's unfortunately typical of Andre's day today, which was not his best. Um, but at that moment, obviously we brought Bernard on for for Andre. Now Carlo after the match said Andre had a bit of a knock, and I I, I presume that was the as a result of of the collision. Yeah. Um, but I I don't. I mean, yes, I think that made us a little bit more of a dangerous team. I gotta ask the question though, what the heck is the point? If Bernard is just as defensively sound and aware as Andre, now Andre in the past has been very good under pressure, passing under pressure, possessing the ball. He's a big body. Um, and maybe Bernard is more slight and has to do it a different way, but certainly Bernard is much more dangerous and more creative with the ball. Not that he's super creative, but certainly he is. I I just, it begs the question. Why are you not starting with the guy to begin with? Are you really sacrificing that much from a defensive standpoint? And I think that's what a lot of people would say, and I think that's the right take. I wonder how much Carlo's learning about this team while watching some of these guys, because I think Andre has the ability to dazzle a bit sometimes, stylistically. Mm-hmm. He's been at big clubs. Maybe Carlo is hoping that somehow he will revert back to this magical form that he was at Valencia, but we really haven't seen that much of it, even if he did start um, earlier in the season, playing in a somewhat sound manner. But it's been a while, and, and I mean, really, what did we create after that? I, I mean, DCL had a nice header off a free kick from from Gilfie. Uh and then another very strange thing. Um, it's funny. I thought Yeri actually got a yellow off the penalty, but I, I guess he got the yellow when he kind of grabbed Alan St. Maxim on yep. on the break. Yeah. Um, and then. Nkunku went off uh, replaced by Jank So Nkunku looked a little bit gassed, um, but, boy, that's a pretty dramatic shift because then it was almost like 4-3-1-2 with Siggy in the middle, which I I don't see any possible way that's going to be valuable, um, and no width whatsoever um, until a later sub. And and then, actually, they subbed on Ryan Frazier, who I thought was very dangerous in in open play, and he is good in open space. And we, again, going back to our center-back pairing, If we had the lead, James, in this match, I would have felt perfectly comfortable with Keane and and Yeri out there. You know what I mean? When you start getting more and more expansive in space, I mean, you know, you you could see that maybe we we were in a little bit trouble. Um, But Jank had virtually no impact on the game whatsoever. Um, I guess there were a couple more highlights in there. I mean, he had a nice square ball to Decoray that was blocked and... um, you know, and then Allen played John Joe Kenny through, and his cross is blocked, which is pretty typical. Um, I, I you know, it's just frustrating. Uh, I mean, and then we ended up subbing Awobi in for John Joe Kenny in the 77th. I mean, how crazy yeah. is that? We basically took off both our wide players, went, I guess, more compact, but really Fabian Delph played left back, and and I mean, Decory was sitting back and right back. I mean, do you feel like any of those changes really changed the momentum of the match?
1: No, I, I don't think so. But I do, just to go back a couple minutes to talking about the Andre for Bernard sub and, and your point about Carlo perhaps hoping that that Andre can recoup some of that. The form that he's had at, at prior clubs and arguably maybe a little bit before his injury with Everton, he just hasn't been the same since he's come back. And I'm not going to go as far as to say he's finished. Like some are saying, the injury finished him. I still think that given enough time, he could perhaps re- regain some of that form, but he's not going to regain that form by playing him as a left attacking mid. No. And that's what's so bizarre is to put, again, Bernard came in and looked, and we know that he's typically looked pretty comfortable in that half space off the flank. That's where he probably does his yep. best work. So to not use the personnel to, to put a square peg in a round hole with Andre rather than have a player who seems to fit that sort of position really well and in fact could Contribute quite a bit to what we were lacking, which is offensive, offensive creation. Uh, just, you know, Carlo Ancelotti up until this point has kind of been above criticism in a lot of ways for what he's been able to do. But I don't think, I think it's fair to say in this case that he probably got it wrong with that Andre decision. And then going through the rest of the match, um, you know, the, the Tosin for Nkunku. I mean, A, great to see Tosin return from the Achilles injury sure. that had him, but come on, I mean, let's be real. As our second striking option coming off the bench, he never really was good enough, and coming off an injury as serious as that, I don't know if he ever will be, Uh really could not get involved for, like, we were talking off air, and I said, when when Tosin come on, like, the 80th minute? And you said, no, it was earlier than that. And it's because he probably went almost 10 minutes without getting a touch from when he came on, which was crazy. And then you have bringing on too little too late, the wide players, Iwobi, um, also to to take off then both of our outside backs and try to get a little more offensive firepower. I get it, but didn't really contribute too much because at that point Newcastle were content to just sit ten men behind the ball, defend and see out the result. And then eventually, as you said, Fraser lets us uh, exposes us a little bit on the counter attack and, and starts to look good in open space. And we're just pushing up too high, getting too offensive, and eventually we concede a,
0: a second goal. I don't know if it does make sense, to be perfectly honest. I mean, you pull out, you put Bernard into play in the half space, presumably. And I'm tired of people telling me he's a number 10. He's not. He loves the left half space, and he's very good in it. And then you bring Jenk on and take out your wide attacking place on the left side. Yeah. That's a pretty massive tactical decision and switch. Um, but yes, you're right. Eventually, the goal is scored. Uh, again, Yeri maybe doesn't take the greatest angle. Frazier is quick. The amazing part is Yerry eventually kind of caught him in a way and and got a piece of his little dinked cross and and knocked it over. And, of course, it went into the one possible place it it, it could have gone while scoring. And it's sad if that doesn't go in. I I at least like our chances of of getting a point out of it. I don't know if – can we blame Michael Keane for kind of stopping at that point? Can he stop that ball from kind of going in? What do you think?
1: I really don't think so. At that point, it's either. it's so far gone. It'd be really harsh. And it'd be harsh to blame, again, blame Olsen for either goal. Nothing he can do about that Agreed. at all. Um, so it's unfortunate. And it, But what was even more frustrating about the fact that we conceded at that point was that that, after conceding and going down 2-0, was really when we decided to start to play, or at yeah. least to play forward and try to score. And we almost pulled the same thing that Newcastle did to us last year, which will bring back unpleasant memories for many, when, of course, we conceded several late and ended up drawing with them. We get the Calvert-Lewin goal, uh, and all of a sudden, there's like this this intent and belief in the team that had been absent for the prior 90 minutes.
0: The One thing I will say is, I almost feel like today's tactics would have been better last week, and last week's tactics would have been better this week. Mm, interesting. I, I say that because... The matchup last week was Dean and Awobi attempting to go down that right side of Southampton, which is a very sound defensive side. They do most of their attacking on the left, and that was uh, you know strength versus strength. In our example today, knowing we're going to have the ball a lot, um, I, I gotta admit, I, I think I would have. Arra- of course, everyone knows I like, Al- I, I like Alex Awobi, but it's more just defending him because I think people trash him. If we're going to play that route, why not put Alex on as one of those two? I, I just think he at least offers some level of creativity. And if you lose the ball in the middle of the pitch, um, it doesn't matter as much because you've got a bunch of guys that can kind of make up for that a little bit. Mm. You know, it just seems to me if you're going to have Delp, Alon, and Decore all in there together as kind of like a, a bracketed three to support your attackers, I think you're giving those two twin tens license to create. And, and we didn't do that at all. Um, and so I wonder if, if maybe it was wrong to just focus on glit- getting the clean sheet over creating and trying to make things where we score a couple goals early. You know what I mean? I, I just, yeah. I don't blame Carlo for doing it. I mean, the guy's a world-class manager. I'm not second guessing the guy, but I do wonder if that would have had better results. Uh, Awobi looked like the one spark we had kind of at the end. I mean, he had a lovely through ball into Dom who, who missed yep. it. I mean, granted it's the 86th minute, the guy and Dom put in a shift. So he was tired. Um, Obviously we did score the goal off. It was a deflected pass, but again, you know, it's, it's someone that can serve a ball a little bit, or at least looks dangerous going forward. And yes, and we know Alex will cough up the ball every now and then, but you know, he is a threat to create and create for other people. This is finally, you have a time where, you know, James isn't there. And I think that was part of the problem against Southampton. You have James and Alex and he, you know what I mean? Those guys are guys that kind of want to serve a ball and get it inside and take high risk passes. And he's gone. I mean, that seemed to me the perfect opportunity to play Alex, especially if you got Jank Tosin in there as well. And we got the one and there was some threat there to score at the end, but they were pretty packed in and tough to, to break down yeah. at that point. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't know if there's, you know, if you have any other parting shots before we get into some individual performances.
1: No, I, but I do think that your points regarding. The, the attacking midfielders are spot on. Like you said, if you're playing essentially a, a strong defensive wall with Allen, Decoré, and Delph where they can provide that support and then you've got basically seven guys looking to defend, then why not take some risks with your with your forward attacking mids? And as you said, Alex Iwobi and Bernard would have, I think, maybe left us a little bit too exposed on the counterattack, but at the same time, both players who are kind of comfortable in that half space and also comfortable in perhaps a bit wider areas. Whereas you saw Gilfie trying to consistently come middle Andre, not his best day really looked out of place. So you can argue that Carlo got it wrong. I think we could also, we don't know what the conversations were like tactically pre-match. Maybe the players didn't execute properly, um, but it seemed like we just kind of missed the mark a little bit. And it was too little, too late ultimately when Calvert-Lewin scored again, which is good. Obviously him, he continues his, his run in form and, um, I think that actually segues quite nicely into our next segment, which we're going to talk a little bit about the players who, despite the results, performed rather well, Ryan. And I think for me, the first name that I would point out would be just our number one for the day, Robin Olsen on his debut. I think maybe some question marks as far as, okay, and he's an unknown commodity to some extent, but two saves on the day, he looked pretty comfortable both in possession and in front of net, obviously had to couldn't do anything about either goal. And I thought his distribution actually looked surprisingly okay.
0: Quite good. Uh, yeah, he looked very poised. I mean, he's an experienced keeper, so I guess that's what you get. And he is a legitimate contender against Pickford, but certainly did himself well. I think he gives you some with something to think about going forward. Um, I think the other player, at least the field player, there were a couple other ones, but I thought Fabian Delph was excellent. He was on the ball constantly. He took care of the ball. He played his role very well. Um, again, when you throw him in left back, he, he's more of a kind of a possession type player there. He's not going to go flying forward, especially since he's, he was in the game and, and running around a lot. But yeah, he, he would, I thought he made good decisions with the ball. There were times where he was a little bit of aggressive. He wasn't afraid to switch the ball. He is a good passer. Um, and there were times for him to kind of cut back and dwell on the ball. He does a nice job of kind of escaping pressure at times. And I thought he was instrumental into thwarting counters as well as keeping possession. And he was one of the main reasons why we were in control of the game for much of the match, at least up until the penalty. Um, again, he's in a three-man midfield, and, and we weren't designed to be too expansive. But I think he's made a strong case to be back in there if we're going to pursue this formation.
1: Yeah, I agree on Delph. He he led the team in touches and had an outstanding passing rate as well. And one of my other notes on him was just one of the few players who looked like midfield players at least that looked willing to try some long balls. Uh the next player on the list for me is Dominic Calvert Lewin. He had thirty-six touches, which we know is kind of typical of him this season where he's not really involved. But despite the limited involvement in our build-up play and on the offensive end, he still had three key passes, five aerials one. Ended up with five total shots, with two on target, and he gets another goal to his name. So even with the limited offensive involvement, he seems to be getting better at making the most of the opportunities he does get.
0: His hold up play was very good. I thought yeah. you can see it's improving every week. So I mean, it's kind of funny. You go, someone Fabian Delph who had 124 touches, like you said, led the team, 93% passing completion, and was not dispossessed a single time. Dom gave it up a couple times because he was isolated, but wow, you know, he still won a lot of aerials and did have time that you know he, our own, our most dangerous moments were hoofing the ball up to him which I don't want to continue but um yeah you got to give him credit uh, I I thought Alan looked good I mean he won what I think he had six to seven successful tackles um he's obviously very good with the ball 95% pass completion he had two key passes and you could see once they scored he almost came alive a little bit from an attacking mm. standpoint he is a precise passer at times and you saw it um I was curious as to, is Bernard a standout or not? I kept going back and forth. Um, why did you think he would be a standout? I'm
1: curious. Yeah, I put him, I put him on here purely because I think the contrast with how poor Gomez was, maybe that <laughs> leaves me a little bit biased. Sure. Um, he, he, he probably didn't have enough time to make a true impact on the game, but I did think he just looked a lot more comfortable in that, in those spaces. And yeah. he had a few, he had one key pass, one dribble. So, so his stats won't really jump out at you, but I think, Given how weak we were with Gomez in there, Bernard immediately comes in and at least, again, turns and faces and looks to take on players, look to kind of cut through some lines with some passes. Um, He hasn't really been given a decent run of games or even significant game time yet under Carlo Ancelotti, but I think he made a decent case for himself to at least, as long as we have these continued injuries to our wide players, uh makes a case to at least get a little more exposure and game time. At a
0: minimum he made the case to say, Well, why didn't you start me here?
1: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I just
0: I and and there could be other names in there too, but um yeah, I I know a lot of people wanted to see Gordon play. I don't yeah. know if this was the right setup for him. So and I'm not gonna second guess Carlo. I, I think um I, I had no real problem necessarily with Bernard being the guy that came in and obviously Alex on the right they were bunkered in, you know. I don't know if Anthony really unlocks it in that way. I think a more wide open game where he can get out the field and use his pace to get by people is, is better for him. Um, unless you're going to bring him on as some sort of strange wing back role, which would probably end up being a joke of ours three years from now, like Mom and Calvert Lewis. Go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I that doesn't. I I don't. There weren't a ton of standouts other than those guys. I, I don't. I actually think DeCory played okay. He got up and down a bit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, no, no massive per, Wobbe came on and did okay, but it was too short to know. But I think the problems were very obvious today. Um, and I, I thought the first area of problems are really with those twin tens. Um, I, I made the comment earlier about the fear of playing someone like Alex Wobey because he takes chances and also turns the ball over, queuing them up for, for the counter. Um, and not that Newcastle is this amazingly dynamic countering team. You know, I, I don't want to oversell how they are in the counter. Steve um, first. <laughs> Right, right. What are we talking about? No here? disrespect to that. No, definitely. And they have some talent. I, I actually think their transfer business recently has been okay. Yeah. Um, but then you look at the numbers, and, and Gilfie at times looked somewhat active. Um, he had two key, key passes, but I think they were both set pieces. Certainly one of them was. He had 5 shots, but jeez, a lot of them just were totally skyed. The one that was on target kind of got deflected. But the numbers that really show for me is he was dispossessed 4 times and had 5 bad touches where he gave the ball away w- without being under pressure or just passed it to him. I mean, that that number 9 collectively, I think we would be hard-pressed to go back and find a bigger number. Um, Carlo seems to like Gilfi a lot. I don't know if that's because he's adaptable, um He's a coach or tactically aware on the pitch. But for me, as much as I actually like the player and appreciate uh, his technical acumen, I just see no formation or no particular circumstance where he should be on the field for us in all honesty. I don't understand it. I, I just don't think his his agility is not enough. He can't receive the ball in tighter spaces if you play him up higher where people say, well, he needs to play up there. He's more dangerous. He can't possess the ball. He gives it up. Look at that. Nine times, in essence, he gave the ball away to the other team. Nine. Nine. That is a big number. I mean, so and that really hurt us. So I find it very ironic that people might be concerned about putting someone like Alex Iwobi in there who can create from open play. Because he turns it over a lot. This is what happens when you put some other people in there. It happens if you're in the heart of things. I just think there are a lot better options there for us. And then his twin partner, Andre, um, did not have the best game as well.
1: No, he didn't. Uh, and we, we've talked about it at length, but just some statistical backing. I mean, one key pass for Andre. He never, he never was dispossessed, but he also likewise created very little, made no, and no impact on the defensive side he of the didn't ball. Even
0: foul much? I mean, come on, at least kick someone.
1: And that's like the one defensive thing that he's good at. You is can fouling count on it, right? I know. I know. Stop the
0: counter, kick someone. I mean, no how many tackles? tackles? Yeah,
1: how many tackles, and interceptions did he have? Zero, uh, fat zero. So you got to think maybe that's not his mandate, but at some point you got to put a foot in and stop somebody. And really, the only time he came near to making a tackle was when he fouled Wilson in the box to give away penalty. So. that was his foul. uh, He made it count. That is a tight end. Of course, he was then yanked four minutes later. So, Carlo, not super impressed. Don't want to beat it into the ground too much because, again, he was played out of position. But likewise to what you said about Sigurdsson, it's really hard to figure out what Andre Gomez's best position is because we've now tried him as a deep line playmaker. We've tried him as a defensive midfielder. We've now tried him as an attacking midfielder, and nothing really seems to click all that well. And... If anything, he's just kind of a deterrent when he's getting forward. So that was really bizarre. But then the other aspect, besides the tens that were a problem for us today, is the lack of attacking output from our from our fullbacks. And of course, Luca Dean, perhaps a player that we don't mention enough on this show. I feel like he's so consistently excellent that Every he week. tends to maybe get not noticed as much because we're just we take him for granted. And so Niels and Kunku comes in to uh, much fanfare after being. So, I'm really encouraging performances fair enough in the in the League Cup, but you could tell today that it was a step up in level and one that he perhaps wasn't totally prepared for. I mean he did play of course decently well against West Ham, but wasn't given the same license to get forward today, dispossessed one time, three bad touches, ended up with four tackles, so again, the defensive side of the ball wasn't that big a problem, but not going to match him on like Luca Dean, who is I think like the most creative attacking fullback in Europe's top five leagues since he joined Everton. So that is a high standard to to match. And Nkunku, understandably, wasn't able to do that. But he definitely didn't seem to want to link up quite as frequently with the players like Keane and Delft. So if you look at that little formation, the number of touches, and of course, Nkunku came out a bit early, but he only ended up with 49 touches. And there were a number of times when he was maybe open on the wing and just wasn't able to to either wasn't given the ball or his teammates didn't trust him with the ball. I wonder if that's that's a concern. But um yeah, and Kunku, maybe a little bit underwhelming today.
0: I always get or cautioned about hyperbole and people talking about how we have the two best left back planet type stuff. And I want to remind people that he was playing in the fourth division of France uh, yep. on OM's youth side before. So it's one thing to look amazing in the cups. It's another thing to, especially when we're playing in one way and have the ball the whole time, it's quite another thing to go to another Premier League club's place and get up forward and, and be people. And, and that's part of it, you know. And the other part of it, too, is chemistry. I mean, how yeah. often has that little triangle that you have between Michael Keane, Niels, and, and Fabian Delph played together, and then Andre Gomes, Gomes put him in there, too? Not often. I mean, ever? Have those four ever really played together? And you could tell there was very little chemistry, and it, it almost seemed like the first instinct was just to play it back. Um, and geez, I, the issue there, frankly, in playing it back is, and not all of it's Andre's fault, if there's no one to play it forward to, what are you going to do? Now, maybe that was tactical. Maybe Carlos said, I want you wide, I want you to push it a little bit, but for the most part, let's take care of the ball. Um but even when he had opportunities the service wasn't there and i don't think we got any better from John Joe on the other side i mean yeah. the numbers again he he had two bad touches one of six crosses several blocked uh no dribbles had a couple tackles did very little elsewise um he seemed to be available at times but not willing to aggressively go for it again in both cases maybe it was tactical but i just i find that hard to believe. I, I just saw a couple times where the ball was played aggressively over to John Joe, like I said, and he just seemed hesitant or was was just not expressing himself. And again, we talked about it last week. We we're playing a Southampton team where everyone's been healthy basically the whole year. <clears throat> this is what happens. It's not just the drop in quality, although the drop in quality we talked about in the offseason. I think my biggest concern was right back. Um, some people were concerned about right wing. I thought we had enough options up top to maybe swing someone over there and they'd be okay. Um, but right back terrified me. I didn't think Seamus would necessarily be up for it. He's been fantastic, but the drop off was, was massive today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that combination of lack of creativity in the middle, um, and lack of width and, and, I guess we'll call it creation as well, or at least activity and pressure coming from the outside. No pressure from the inside, no pressure from the outside. All it was is a lot of possession, which isn't bad. But if you concede, then what the heck was it for? Um, And I think nothing magnified that more. The lack of service, and lack of opportunities by a guy like Jenk Tosin who came in, what we said, the 70th minute. And how many touches did he have?
1: Five. Is that right? Five.
0: (laughs) That's Appalling appalling that's much that's not much i mean at the game i was at earlier my kids game i think one of the parents had more touches from retrieving <laughs> balls out of bounds uh for throw-ins and uh granted that parent was there the whole match which was amazing considering the weather but that's that's not good enough and funny one of his touches was actually a rather nice square ball to to decoray but i you know it you start to wonder and some of these guys can round out and form and getting Richarlison and Dean back and Hamez will make an obviously a massive difference in Sheamus, But I wonder if this cues us up for making a move or two in the January window. I I would think we've got some assets that might want to move when they've seen their role so far. Um, It'll be very interesting how things go. Um, Man of the match. That's not the easiest thing to, I think, determine today. I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are, Hamez.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. And, Funny you say that because I'm tempted to just name James because the chasm he left behind in his absence was so, so massive as far as creativity. But I won't. I'll actually name a player who who played today. For me, it's going to be Allen. I think just in that central midfield and an unconventional midfield shape, I thought he was as good as he's been for us so far this season. Again, the six or seven tackles, the pass completion, just knitting things together really nicely and allowing us to – In theory, what we should have been able to maintain our foothold and our our strong control of the match, we let it slip with a couple of momentary lapses. But by and large, I thought he just looked like the type of player who, and again, when we went down, you mentioned it earlier, Ryan, he kind of really took it upon himself to try to get forward a little bit more to string things together. He just strikes me as the type of general in the midfield that we've been lacking for so long. And similar to Luca Dean, maybe a player who, Obviously, he hasn't been at Everton as long, but a player whose consistency continues to be maybe his strongest contribution. He takes a
0: beating in there, too. Uh, yeah. No he picked, almost picked up off. another knock. I got worried. Yeah, he did get whacked. He seemed okay. Walked it off. He's definitely a strong candidate. I feel like we've been overlooking Dominic Calvert-Lewin because he keeps mm. scoring. It's almost like <laughs> it's expected. Um, I'm a sucker for for a defensive and a central midfielder, too. I'm going to give it to Fabian Delth because I really felt like he was kind of the commanding force in the team. It's not really his fault, I think, that other people didn't make them available to be more aggressive going forward. Um, but I thought he was confident on the ball. Uh, I thought he was positionally sound. He was good at thwarting counters. Not much of it came from his side. Um, I thought that he he had a very good performance, and I think that bodes well for him. Going forward, I was impressed with him. Uh, I'm going to give Fabian Delph my man of the match. Um, Yeah, I think he's the winner. Olsen also made a couple key saves too, so you guys have to give him a little bit of credit. But I I think Fabian Delph also getting a little credit for being having the positional adaptability to go back and play left back, and I just thought he was sound. He he rarely made a bad touch all the way around.
1: Yeah, a player who seems to generate a lot of – I mean, there's many players in the team that generate a lot of hatred from – or. Anger from fans or frustration tend to be the scapegoats. Delph is a weird one to me because I feel like his only real time he's been outright horrible is because he gets hurt. Um, when he's in the team, he generally provides a d- degree of stability, maybe doesn't do as much getting us forward as people he's would sound. like, but yeah, he's sound, and right? there was, there was right, he's, so, he's sound, he's solid, and there was an interesting stat, I want to say it was on. Uh, David Hughes does a podcast for the Echo called Analyzing Everton. It's a good one. If you guys are interested, check it out. And his uh, his uh co-host, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but said something about Fabian Delph being up there as far as like the most two-footed players in Europe's top five leagues in terms of the frequency uh, of using both feet. So he's a really balanced player. And again, Ryan, you mentioned the versatility as far as being able to drop into left back which we know he did so successfully for Manchester City in their their unbelievable title winning season. so again a player that I think can really do a job for us assuming
0: he can stay healthy which seems to be kind of the main criticism of him thus far. You gotta love a guy if you wants someone on the bench, someone that can play multiple positions come in and contribute and is just sound. you know those are people that are important. Um, he wasn't a big money transfer, he's on a decent wage his issue that he's not been healthy and I, I don't see how you can hold that against him necessarily you can question brands for picking him up um I thought he he showed leadership today at least he seemed mm. on the pitches demeanor was good uh hopefully some of the fans are getting a little bit won over by him because I think he's a sound player i I, I surely I don't understand how someone could be so mystified by the stylic stylist that is Andre Gomes and still think Fabian Delph is, is garbage. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I mean, just cause he doesn't look as smooth, compare the effectiveness and and maybe it's for me, I'm, I'm less more of a style person than I am. I mean, we like certain players because of the way they play. I mean, let's, right. let's not kid ourselves. You know, we, are you kidding me? We could watch Hamez painting stuff all over the place. Um, but objectively speaking, I, I really struggle. I, if we go back to that Christmas tree, I really don't want to see. Those two guys playing behind Dom ever again, and and frankly, I'm not so sure I want either of those two in any side. Um, I can't imagine playing Andre over Fabian Delft at this point, but that's just my opinion.
1: Yeah, totally warranted. Um, and again, after the match, Carlo Ancelotti effectively said, "Until the penalty game wasn't good, but we controlled the match. Had and then you know we did have 65% possession at halftime. Said that Jordan will be back next match. Of course, Everton play next. I believe it's next Sunday against Manchester United. That'll be a big one. We'll, of course, have Luca Dean returning to the side after serving his one-match suspension. So, it'll be the third game Richarlison will miss, so that'll be the end of his suspension. Still some injury news to consider throughout the week, some exciting stuff. But, Ryan, before we wrap things up, do you have any last thoughts on Newcastle?
0: Just disappointing. It's an opportunity. I I don't think that Newcastle team is better than us uh, at all, but... I think we, we let the game get away from us and it just goes to show you how, how important it is, is to be turned on all match. You know, one lapse of concentration can make all the difference in the world. And that's very often how teams that seek to control a match can lose because goals change games. It's such a massive, it, it's hard sometimes in other American sports to relate to it. Even hockey that doesn't have that much of a frequency of goals. Um, one goal is such a big yeah, game. and that's also why it's so exciting and so thrilling as a match. Um, it's very depressing when it's coming from not out of nowhere, but sometimes you see a team score and you think, "God, oh, it's deserved." You know, it's deserved. Uh, it really wasn't today, but again, you cannot have lapses in concentration. And if they don't get that penalty call, how do we think the game turns out today?
1: Right. I mean, I think that that eventually we were able to to string things together and at least put one past them before they're able to concede but again the the, the cheap penalties the refereeing continues to be a, a talking point as it has been since the dawn of time in every sport so i'm some not of of it. some of the cards yeah. today some of the cards were mind
0: boggling very I just, bizarre oh i just don't even understand like allen's card was a yellow but he didn't indicate it was for multiple fouls i, I just right. i i didn't understand it at all it's just very bizarre but you know it is what it is and you've got to deal with that
1: Yeah, and my big takeaway, I guess, is just that And at time of recording, Everton are third in the table. Spurs are up one nil right now, so should they see out that result, they would uh, move past us with 14 points. But again, if you had asked any Everton fan start of the season, seven games in, would you take being third? They would absolutely snap your hand off. So I don't want to get too reactionary to a couple wins against, again, Southampton nipping at our heels, technically even level with us on points at the moment. And there's just a lot of decent teams and a lot, and more importantly, a lot of teams that look very, very beatable. So.
0: Yeah. And let's not forget going into the season, what were the expectations? We talked about six. I think Europe is the big goal. Yes. So right now, who do we have out today? Mason Holgate, starting left center back without question. Seamus Coleman, starting right back. Luca Dean, one of our best players, starting left back. Uh, Richarlison, debatably our best player, starting on the left side. James Rodriguez, if Richie's not her best player, James is. Our starting keeper was even out because his family was getting death threats, for heaven's sakes. So, yes, I, I no, I don't think Newcastle is the best team in the league. But if there's ever a time, I, I am hopeful that we will not have the same mystifying injury epidemics that we had last year. And, yes, maybe we don't have quite the depth of some of the top teams, but that's understandable. You know what I mean? This is going to take a couple of years for us to really get in there and be able to compete for the top spot. I would take third place before the before the year in a heartbeat. And uh, and you know what? Honestly, we get Luca back and maybe someone else next week. And I, I don't think we have anything to fear with Manchester United. They're a very good team, but we can play with them. Agreed. I think that that
1: and I feel that way about most teams in this division. There's teams yeah. that and I think that the, what's been exciting about the Premier League this year is that a lot of teams have improved. And so I think there's this could perhaps be the most This The most even and open league we've seen since Leicester won it a few years ago, maybe even more open than that. And, of course, injuries play a role. There's not a team in this division that could lose five starters and still expect the same output. So I think that's the big takeaway. Do not lose heart. We're still third in the table with much of the season left to play. We still have Carlo Ancelotti at the helm. There's a lot to be hopeful for, and I hope that we can maintain the positive spirit that has existed around Everton for the first five matches of the Premier League campaign. And not just lose uh, and start reverting back to form as the the natural pessimists that I think most uh, most tend to be. But with that said, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, likewise, follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at USA Toffee Pod. Stay tuned midweek; we've got some potentially very exciting news coming. Uh, and until next time, as always, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Podcast.